0: images from our trip to Paris back in July. Um, Isn't it amazing, even on the other side of the world, we can celebrate the greatness of our God. Amen. Let's stand together and do that this morning. Will you sing with me, how great is our God, as we proclaim that together this morning. Mm -hmm. The splendor
1: My sister-in-law died in August. From August until Thanksgiving, we just went back to life as we knew it. And the longer I went, feeling scared and being, not letting myself grieve or feel joy. I started to close myself off to people, um, isolate myself more, wasn't being honest with people about what I was feeling, wasn't being honest with myself either. And that just made everything worse. One would think you really should start to feel better and get on with life. And it's Christmas, you're supposed to be joyful. And I was, there was no joy in my world and certainly no happy new year to come. Intense
2: sadness comes with the holidays after the loss of a loved one. It leaves you wondering how you will survive the holidays this year. Are you dreading this season, knowing that everything has changed and that happy memories from past years can't be recreated It might not seem possible, but the day will come when you will be able to enjoy the holidays again. At Surviving the Holidays seminars, you hear personal stories from those who lost a loved one and teaching from grief experts on how to journey through this season. This is one step you can take to get the support you need.
3: For Christmas, I went to be with the rest of my family and I had some time alone to talk to God, to cry, to remember her. To, to think about the events of the year and to choose one good memory to hold on for that day. And that was very helpful. I think maybe too much silence can
1: just leave people to suffer alone when everybody is suffering. So it's better to walk through it together than pretend
0: like we're not walking through it at all.
2: Our Surviving the Holidays event provides you with a safe and supportive space to help you navigate the challenges of the season. During the two-hour event, you'll be welcomed by caring people who truly understand what you're going through. Watch a 35-minute video that's filled with practical holiday survival tips and the real-life stories of people who have courageously navigated the season after their loved one's death, and hear from other event attendees who will share how they are dealing with the holidays.
1: At first i was a little skeptical because i thought well i don't know if i really want to go somewhere everybody's just going to be crying you know that would just be too hurtful but it wasn't like that at all i mean i really um just got so much out of it it was such an encouraging supportive group what i found was a group of people with a common denominator of loss i belonged and I was exactly where I was supposed to be.
2: If you're ready to receive helpful guidance, connect with people who understand and find ways to honor your loved one this season, we invite you to join us at a Grief Share Surviving the Holidays event. Find a Surviving the Holidays seminar near you at griefshare.org holidays.
4: That Grief Share event here will be November the 14th uh, at 6.30 in the Small Fellowship Hall. Um, the cost is is $5. Uh, for more information on that event, uh, please go to the welcome desk. Uh, I know that uh, grief affects so many people, uh, even recently in our congregation, or if you know someone uh, that would benefit from this seminar, please have them uh Um, be a part of that seminar on November the 14th. So I'd like to welcome everyone here this morning to our worship services. Uh, And if you are our our guest this morning, we invite you to take a care card that's on the pew back in front of you uh, and fill that information out. And we would love to have recollection of your visit so that we can get back with you. Uh, And then on the flip side of the care card is a place for anybody to fill out a prayer request that you might have again just fill that out and as you exit today uh the sanctuary there are giving boxes on the back wall of the lobby here we would love for you to put those in there Uh, we would just love to pray for you uh and know how to pray for you and then of course if you're visiting with us uh, we would love to get back in touch with you so make sure that you pay attention to those care cards uh well this wednesday is a huge day uh for us is our trunk or treat it's coming upon us quickly uh, it will be from 6 to 8 o'clock. Uh, looked at the weather. The weather looks perfect. It's going to be a, a great, great Wednesday. You know, this is probably the biggest uh, community outreach that we do locally. So we would, we would uh, thank you, number one, for already uh, donating your cars to be decorated. The, if you've donated candy, please keep that coming in. Uh, I know our youth will be doing puppets and clowns, and it's just going to be a great evening of fun. Uh, and you can be involved. Uh, just come, be a part, uh, mingle with the crowd, uh, introduce yourself, tell them that you that you're that they're glad that you're here, or you're glad that they're here. That's the way we say it. Um, and so, uh, but it's going to be a great evening uh, of just uh, fellowship um, and some fun costumes. Uh, so please come and make that part of uh, your week this week, um, this Wednesday night. Um, next Sunday night, uh, October 29th at 5 in the core will be a very special evening as we celebrate together the 25-year uh, service anniversary for Jonathan and Laura Turner. They have uh, served our church so well. It's hard to believe... Uh, 25 years has gone by like that. Jonathan, where are you? You don't even look 25. He just started shaving last week. So you come and be a part uh, just to to say thank you uh, for the faithful service that, that they have given to our church and And Jonathan has his hands in way more than than music ministry here. He does so many things. So I know that you want to come be a part of a special evening next Sunday night, the 25th. Um, Starting today at 4.30, we're going to begin our sign language class. Uh, That's going to be in the core in room E14. Um, I've been instructed to let you know if you want to be a part of that class, bring a notebook. You're going to be taking some notes and that class is for anybody, um, but if you are under the age of 12, uh, you will need to be accompanied by a parent. Uh, so that is such a, a language that is needed now. It's a great way to communicate uh, with those who are hearing impaired and then uh, to even share the gospel with someone in that way. Um, so uh, if, if you'd like to be a part of that class, come today at 430. And if you have more questions about that, please see Carmen Reel. Um, also, you can see our, we have shoeboxes in the foyer for our OCC. Uh, don't forget to get those today. And our collection week is November the 13th through the 20th. And if you would like to sign up and help through that week, uh, please see Shannon Gardner. Uh, just another way to spread the gospel uh, to a world that needs Jesus. Uh, okay, for a brief moment, I'm going to call us in to uh, a, a business meeting as we need to elect messengers for our upcoming baptist state convention Um, and so i know a couple of you have uh, uh, have indicated that you would like to go but we as a church need to vote on you uh, as well so if if you are willing or want to go and serve and be a messenger to the baptist state convention which is november the 6th and 7th uh, would you raise your hand and if you're not intending to go Look around to see who's raising their hand because you're going to vote on them. So Pastor Scott, we're glad you're going. So that's good. <laughs> anybody, anybody else? Uh, several up in the, in the far loft. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Well, you've seen those who have raised their hands. Uh, if it is your pleasure to, to elect these messengers for the Baptist State Convention this year, please say aye. aye. Any like sign? uh oppose any opposition with a like sign okay well you guys are voted in to be our messengers for this year's baptist state convention uh we're super excited that you're here to worship today uh, and we look forward to worshiping the lord together in spirit and truth let's pray together lord we do thank you for this incredibly beautiful day that you've given us lord just the change of the seasons is so refreshing um, God, you uh, have even given us our senses that we can enjoy such beauty. But Lord, help us in all in in all things, never to worship the creation, but to always worship you, the Creator. We thank you, Father, that we have good reason to worship you. That you have given to us your righteousness through the death of your Son Jesus. God, I pray that uh, those that know you and those that are your children today would be drawn closer to you as a result of the worship uh, that we render this day. God, be honored and glorified in our singing and our praying and our preaching. Lord, help us to learn well this morning as the pastor brings the word to us that you have brought to him. God, help us to apply those words to our heart and to our life that we may we would be made more in the likeness of of your son, the Lord Jesus. God, I pray for those in this room that may not have a relationship with you, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that they would turn to you and repent of their sin and receive Jesus this day as their Savior, that they too may be able to call you Father. Uh, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for uh, this church and, Father, for how it reaches out into this community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And God, we pray that uh, this Wednesday we would have great weather. We pray, Father, that there would be many people uh, on this campus that would be introduced not only to our church, uh, but to the message of the gospel. And we thank you for it. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Without hope, without life, till from heaven you came right, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle. our salvation Jesus for our sake you die And the dead rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who'd come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born Then the Spirit lit the flame Now this gospel truth of old Shall not deal shall not fade By his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected no rhyme
3: singing this morning take your Bibles out and turn with me to first Peter chapter 4 please and I'll explain in just a moment what I will be doing this morning uh, I trust that uh, you'll give me a little extra time today in the introduction and I will make clear in just a moment while that why that is so before we even get uh, into the message but I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Living in Light of the Lateness of the Hour. Living in Light of the Lateness of the Hour. So if you'd find First Peter chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 7, and we'll read down through verse 11. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? First Peter chapter 4, beginning there in verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. be long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit today that you would speak to us through your Word, that your Holy Spirit would be pleased to take my words and bring both encouragement and conviction to hearts. Lord, we know that since the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, we've been living in the last days. The New Testament only knows of two ages, this age and the age to come. And we feel like perhaps we are near the end of this age. But that's a matter in your hands. Lord, grant us wisdom and grace and strength as to how we are to live as we wait on the second coming of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I was, uh, I was approached this week and asked by one of our most beloved senior adult men. In fact, a man I think we would all say is Mr. Pitts Baptist Church. And he approached me and asked me if I would please uh, consider addressing this morning uh, everything that is going on in the Middle East and how Christians should be interpreting this and how Christians should be praying. Now, folks, that's a tall assignment. And I seriously doubt that I'll be able to answer everybody's questions. And so I decided I wouldn't even try. (laughs) But instead, I'd take a different approach. Now, obviously, as a pastor, I'm just trying to address things from that perspective. I wouldn't be qualified to do anything else. And so here's what I want to do. I want to affirm a couple of things that to me at least are black and white issues. Okay? So I want to address a couple of those issues that for me at least are black and white issues. And then I want to go into an area that again for me is a bit of a gray area. And I'm not even going to try to draw an era between specific events and what scripture it might have reference to. Because about 100% of the time when people try to do that, they get it wrong. I mean, it's 2023 uh, so far this year, and date setters and prognosticators uh, have a perfect record. I hope you realize that. They have been 100% wrong. <laughs> and so again, I just want to affirm some things this morning. Affirm some things first that to me are rather obvious. From a biblical perspective, I can first affirm that Israel has a right to exist Palestinian terrorist groups envision a Middle East where there is no such thing as the nation of Israel and that's one reason why in some of the previous talks about a two-state solution Palestinians have not even come to the table uh, on occasions because they don't even think Israel has the right to exist And so they don't want to discuss a two-state solution. But we affirm that God gave the land to Abraham and his descendants. They have the right, a God-given right, to be there. God gave them the land. And this is the main reason, perhaps, that Uh, You will commonly find among Christians in the West that we support Israel. We recognize that they are not occupiers. God gave them the land and so they have the right to be there. Also historically modern day archaeology confirms Israel in the land. They have uncovered artifacts going back to the time of King David for example. Some would have you believe that modern-day Palestinians are the Canaanites that Israel drove from the land during the time of Joshua. And that is simply not true. Modern-day Palestinians came late, historically speaking, from other Arab and Mediterranean nations. Like Syria, for example, and even the island of Crete. They are not the Canaanites. Some would say, oh, they're the Canaanites, they were there first. That's not who the modern day Palestinians are. Let's also affirm that it is totally wrong to paint all Palestinians with the same brush. Many of them hate the fact that there are terrorist groups like Hamas... And Hezbollah among them. In fact, there are some very dedicated Christians now among various Palestinian groups who have actually turned away from Islam and they've embraced Christ. In fact, even in the Gaza Strip, where the current is, where the focus is currently, there are a number of Christian churches Baptist churches, Roman Catholic churches, and Greek Orthodox churches. So there are many Christians among them. You could say the same for Jews. There are Christian congregations among the Jews. And so what I'm saying is neither the Palestinians nor the Jews are homogeneous groups being either exclusively Jewish or Muslim. Sometimes in the West we overlook this fact and we paint with broad brushes. We can also affirm that for Israel to have been attacked by the terrorist organization, Hamas, is horrendous. All Christians should oppose this. Again, we affirm that Israel has the right to defend itself. And we know what Hamas tries to do as, as the son of one of the leaders of Hamas who's no longer with that group in fact he's become a Christian speaks out against Hamas a, a, a group that his dad's still a part of as he points out Hamas uses its own citizens children and women as human shields to try to set a narrative uh, in, in, in the media so that when Israel Uh, bombs one of these places and civilians are killed. They want to turn the tide, the public opinion, against Israel. And like he said, Hamas puts its own citizens there. They don't care about the Palestinians, he, he has said. Now here's where I want to move into a little bit of a gray area. And I would even quote one of our most staunch supporters of Israel among Southern Baptists who used to be a seminary president and a New Testament scholar. And yet even he has said we want to be very careful in the church that we do not blindly support anything and everything that Israel ever does. Of course we support them in situations like this where they have to defend themselves. But as he went on to say we must remember to this current day Most of Israel remains hardened and in unbelief when it comes to Jesus Christ. Added to that, we have to be careful how we view the Palestinians. As I just mentioned, many among them are no longer Muslim but have come to Christ. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me add a personal word, an illustration to this, giving some perspective. When we visited Bethlehem, right outside of Jerusalem, uh, you cross over into Palestinian territory to enter into Bethlehem. And there we went into a shop and we met some lovely Palestinian Christians. In one shop they had some very expensive wood carvings the owner of the shop learning that I was a pastor wanted me to have a wood carving of Jesus a very expensive wood carving of hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, a wood carving intricate carving of Jesus as the good shepherd holding a lamb and his staff in the other hand and he wanted me to have that and so he gave that to me for almost nothing And so we met very kind, devoted Palestinian Christians. Then we went to the wailing wall and getting off the buses, we met an Orthodox Jewish man in his black attire, his hat, the long ringlets of hair going down the side of his face. And when he saw our group coming, he turned his head and would not even so much as let his eyes look upon us because we were a bunch of Gentile Christians and so my question is this While what I said a moment ago, yes, we support Israel. But my my question is this. Are you going to unequivocally support the man who wouldn't even look at us because we're Christians and Gentiles? And are you going to automatically reject the Bethlehem Christian man who was so kind and generous to our group? You see what I'm saying? Some things aren't quite as black and white in terms of Supporting everything the Jews do while rejecting everything Palestinians do. And so what should our attitude be? Again, I think we do strongly support the right of Israel to exist. And we defend their right to defend themselves against terrorists. But aside from that, I think we need to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul was a Jew. What did he say about his countrymen? Well, on the one hand, he had some of the harshest words in the New Testament against Jews who opposed him in his Christian missionary work. They were the most fierce opponents of Christianity early on. And sometimes Paul addressed them with harsh words because of that. And then, on the other hand, in Romans 9 through 10, for example, he said he wept for them and he prayed for them that they would come to Christ. He acknowledged that as Christians, we stand upon the rich history of God's dealings with the Jews in the Old Testament. Paul said to them belongs the covenants, to them, the law was given. To them the prophets were given and even the Messiah according uh, to the flesh was given. And so he wept for them. In fact he went so far as to say if it would mean their salvation he would be willing for himself to be eternally condemned. Paul had the hope expressed in Romans 11 that one day the Jews who were the natural olive branches broken off the tree So that you and I, the wild olive branches, could be grafted in. He prayed for that day and expected that day that that we would see a complete number of Israel saved. And so the natural branches would be grafted back into the tree. Folks, the same should be our hope and prayer as we pray for Israel And so I think we can and we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We should pray for their protection against their enemies. We should defend their right to take action against their enemies who attack them. As any sovereign nation has the right to do. We should also pray for the veil to be lifted from their eyes. That they would recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And again, we should also recognize that not every Palestinian in the area is cut out of the same cloth. Now beyond that, I'm not in a position, nor do I have the knowledge to address every situation we see on the news. And you know what? It can be dangerous to plan your weekly preaching after the latest headlines. But let me address one more thing that ties in with our text today. When people ask me these questions, I suspect what they're really asking me is, Pastor, in light of the headlines that we see going on, are we at the end? Pastor, do you think this is the end? With the buildup of nations that we see happening over there right now. This very week. Are we approaching Armageddon? Pastor, is that what we're seeing? And to that I want to remind you of what Jesus said. He told his disciples in the Olivet Discourse. He's, Olivet Discourse he said, when you see all of these things taking place. These are the beginnings of birth pains how long do birth pains go on varied times a lady may go into labor and she may suffer for 36 hours or more before she gives birth or she may go into birth pains and she may not even have a chance to make it to the hospital before the baby is born birth pains are varied and so when it comes to God's timetable, how long will the birth pains of the passing of this age and the new age to come, how long will the birth pains last? Well, things could, go, could happen more suddenly than we think. Or things could be drawn out and go on for years and years and years and even decades. We just simply don't know. And folks, that's not a cop-out. We just don't know. Who can say exactly which contraction among the birth pains is the one where the baby will be pushed out? We don't know. And because we don't know, Jesus told his disciples to simply be ready. As the prophet Amos said in the Old Testament, prepare to meet your God. Because if you're prepared, if you're ready, it doesn't matter when it happens because you're ready. You may live out your lifespan and die before all these things take place. But you still need to be ready because one day you're going to meet the Lord. And so with that said, how are we to live in light of the end? That's what we see in our text this morning. Peter tells us how we are to live as the body of Christ in light of the lateness of the hour. And I want you to see what Peter is doing here. Peter is pointing out that eschatology, eschatology is the discussion of end time events. Eschatology is never discussed in the Bible simply to satisfy our curiosity. It's not to get us to try to break out our charts and set dates and draw errors about where everything goes. Folks, the purpose of eschatology is to stir us on to godly living in the days that we have left. And the purpose of eschatology also is not to uh, get us into an attitude where we check out and we kind of just hunker down and look to the sky and wait. In fact, just the opposite is true. It's to spur us on to responsible living. Somebody asked the great reformer Martin Luther one time if he knew what he would be doing if it were the very last day of his life. He said, I would pay my taxes and plant a tree. In other words, he was saying he would simply go about the appointed task for that day. And so again, Peter is telling us how we need to live uh, in light of the lateness of the hour as the body of Christ. How are we supposed to be living regardless of what the headlines uh, might indicate? And I want to give you several things this morning. First of all, from verse 7, I want you to write down proper thinking. Proper thinking. Read with me again verse 7. He, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now it's interesting one thing that he does you see in the Greek text one of the ways to emphasize something in the Greek text is sort of front load the sentence. Put what you really want to emphasize at the front of the sentence that, that's one way of bringing emphasis and that's what Peter does here. He says the end of all things is at hand. And because that's true, he says, first of all, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. He's basically saying the same thing here, self-controlled and sober-minded. By using the word sober-minded, he's not saying don't get drunk, though that's pretty good advice today uh, also. But, But what he's saying is you and I need to think straight. We need to think properly about the times in which we live. In other words, if we're living in the last days and the next thing on God's calendar is uh, the return of Christ for his bride, then you and I need to get right between the ears. We need to be thinking right. We need to be thinking seriously. There are a lot of people today thinking seriously, but they are seriously thinking about the wrong things. It's kind of like somebody said, you can go to the zoo and find a monkey who looks like he's thinking seriously, but probably it's only because he's got an itch somewhere. We need to think seriously about the times that we are in. You know, some people are looking to science to provide all of the answers of modern day man. And thank God for science and for medicine and all the advancements that are being made. I mean, every time you go to the doctor and you have some kind of procedure done, aren't you glad we're not back in the days of the 1800s when they would do some horrendous things to try to get you well? I mean, there's a lot of modern day things, advancements we can be very grateful for. But with that said, I want to point out, science is not the ultimate answer. Science is not going to bring in some type of utopia. Because the problem with science is oftentimes our heads and our hands outrun our hearts. Somebody has described civilization as a crazy man with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. And you know, it's like every day in the news. That's exactly what we're seeing played out. People have utterly lost their minds. It blows me away today to the thinking that some people have the crazy ideas that are out there today. We need to think soberly, we need to think biblically about the times that we are living in. These are not the days for the church to be playing patty cake while the world is literally burning down. Now in a general sense, let me mention some things that we need to think soberly about. Not all of these are mentioned specifically in the text, but they tie in. We need to think properly about trials. Go back to verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live uh, for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The folks to whom Peter was writing, they were suffering because of their faith in Christ. And he comments to them about this. He points out in First Peter Jesus suffered in the flesh and he tells them if they're willing to suffer in the flesh because of their Christian faith then they have ceased from sin. He's not talking about sinless perfection but what he's saying is if you're willing to suffer for your faith then the allure of sin in this world no longer holds the same affection for you any longer. You see, as long as you live for the world, you chase the things of the world and you succumbed to the temptations and desires of the world. But if you've gotten to the point in your life that Jesus means more to you than anything else and if you're even willing to suffer for Jesus, then this world doesn't have the same grasp on you any longer. Sin just doesn't have the same affection to you. That's what he's telling them. And he's pointing out that that's how they needed to view the tough times that they were going through. Their trials were a chance for them to grow in Christ's likeness. Their trials were a chance for them to be conformed to the image of Christ. If they would simply trust God in their trials, then they would emerge stronger in their faith and they would win the battle against sin. And he's telling them that's how they need to be thinking soberly about trials. God doesn't bring trials into our lives to destroy us he brings trials into our lives to strengthen us and that's why even James in James chapter 1 said the Christians attitude needs to be different when it comes to trials We ought to even consider it joy when we go through trials. We're not joyous over the trial itself, but as James points out, we're joyous over what God is able to do in us through the trial, how he grows us and matures us and makes us more like Jesus. And that's why James said count it all joy whenever you fall into various trials. You don't go looking for them, but you do stumble into them from time to time. And if you will think properly about them, think soberly and self-controlled about them, you'll see what God's purpose is with them. Peter also wants them to think properly about the times. About the times. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3. He said, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What do these verses say about the last days, about the times? The last days are going to be dangerous times, perilous times. For one thing men are going to be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God lovers of money and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God I want you to keep in mind Paul uh, Paul was writing Second Timothy more than uh, almost 2,000 years ago and yet it's like reading a commentary on 2023. Men being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We live in an entertainment culture. Entertainment and sports means everything to people today. And how people just want to do things for themselves, for pleasure, entertainment. And you talk to them sometimes about doing something. God and they just don't understand what you're talking about you know if a man has an extra $60,000 sitting around he may not think twice about going and buying a new four wheel drive pickup truck but you talk to him about investing $1,000 in missions and he'll say are you crazy I can't do that how can I afford to do something like that well you were just about to spend 60 times that amount He says that men will be without self-control. They'll be conceited. They'll be treacherous and irreconcilable. Think of that last one, irreconcilable. We live in a day and age where people will get mad about things. They'll get mad at other people. And they'll walk away from them and they simply will not forgive them. They will not reconcile. You can't get them to reconcile. It always disturbs me when I see that happening among those who profess to be believers. Christians are supposed to be agents of reconciliation. The Bible says when somebody offends you, you go to them, you go to your brother or sister. If they don't listen, you take somebody else. What you're working towards is reconciliation and forgiveness. But there's too many that are like people in the world. They don't forgive. They don't reconcile. And do you realize that the Bible actually gives that as evidence of unbelief, regardless if somebody says with their lips, I'm a Christian. The Bible says, no, that's evidence of unbelief of those who don't know the Lord. Folks, when we see people acting the way Peter was talking about people acting, the way Paul was talking in Second Timothy about people acting, the Bible is telling you and me that we need to be thinking soberly and self-controlled about these times that we're living in because what are all these things an indication of? All of these things are an indication of we're nearing the last of the last. We're in the last times. And what we're seeing going on in society around us tells us. It's the fruit hanging on the tree that telling us that we are in the last times. Again, we've been in the last times since the incarnation of Jesus. The Bible, the New Testament tells us that. The writer of Hebrews talks about how God spoke to us previously in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, when everybody said, what's going on? Peter said, what's going on is what the prophet Joel said would happen when the last days arrived. We've been in the last days since the incarnation of Christ. But again as we near the end of the end times the Bible says people are going to get crazier and crazier meaner and more and more ungodliness and immorality and evil going on in the world. And so what Peter is telling uh, his congregation here is, is you need to have sober thinking about this so you're not like everybody else. We're to be salt and light. We're to be distinct from the way the culture is acting. We're not to take our cues from the culture. We're not like the culture. We're to walk in light. We're not to walk in darkness. We also need to think properly about the word. Again, going back to what Paul was saying to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, saying Timothy, as you notice the world going on in going this direction, you're to be different. You're to be grounded in the word of God. Because the word of God is what leads you to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say all scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And so church, as we see the world getting worse and worse and worse. You know what you and I are to do? We're to be more and more grounded in God's word. We're to be turning to God's word more and more to give us direction in these days. Again, not looking to the lost man, the lost culture for some kind of guidance. The Word of God is to be our anchor and our compass. Our anchor holding us steady in the faith and our compass pointing which direction we need to go. We need to think properly about His coming. What's the Bible telling us in numerous places? It's saying, be ready. Be ready because one of these days, you know, we talk about Christ coming back for his bride, but guess what, folks? One of these days, it's going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. And when it happens in the twinkling of an eye, you're not going to have a chance to get ready. Some people saying, oh, I'll get ready then. No, you're not going to have a chance. You're going to miss eternity. And the door is going to be shut. And so you need to be ready. If you're ready, it doesn't matter if it happens today or a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now. Because you're ready. And so you also need to think soberly and in a self-controlled way about his coming. Because your future is not in this world. This world is passing away. And that's why Jesus said we're to be storing up our treasures in heaven. Folks, we need to be people thinking properly about trials, about the times, about the Word, and about His coming. And then you go back to what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 4. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 7. He says, for the sake of your prayers. You see what he's saying there? What's the result of thinking properly? What's the result of wise thinking it will result in wise praying. Notice how he ties praying in with proper thinking. It's entirely possible to pray wrongly because you think wrongly. If you don't think rightly, you're not going to pray rightly. If we're not thinking soberly about this world, then we're going to be asking for things that we have no business asking for. But if we will immerse ourselves in God's Word and start thinking rightly, then we're going to begin praying for what God wants us praying for. So first on the list, proper thinking. Second on our list, that peter says we're to be about is fervent loving he says in verse eight above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins remember what we said a moment ago from second timothy three the last days are going to be characterized by people not loving each other unless it's love for self or love for pleasure But in such a context that we live in, we are to love. We are to love, Peter says here, earnestly or fervently. That word in the Greek, earnestly, could refer to to stretching or straining. Do you ever ever watch these foot races like in the Olympics, the 400-yard dash or 100-yard dash? Man, some of those people can fly. And they'll be coming around the track, and as they get up near the tape, what do they do? You see them all. If they can only just push their chest out another inch or two, maybe they'll get the advantage and break the tape first. That's the Greek word here. That's the image behind the Greek word. Earnestly, fervently straining with all you've got. That's how you are to love. In other words, there's, there's not to be anything halfway or half-hearted about how we love one another. You know, somebody once said, to dwell with saints above, that will be glory, but to live with saints below, now that's another story. And yet, it's the saints below in the here and now with whom we have to live and work. And so again, we're not to be defined by the times. The times don't define us as the people of God. When Jesus was asked about the end on one occasion, he described the last days as times where lawlessness and evil would abound to such a degree the love of many would grow cold. Jesus was saying there'll be such a tidal wave of lawlessness and evil and immorality, people will just wax cold. Are we not seeing that now? We've gotten to where now everybody things are so bad, we're suspicious of everybody and everything. We're afraid, maybe to go to the door, to answer the door when somebody comes to our front door. We're suspicious of who it is, what they might want. We don't want to answer the phone because it might be a scam or they're, they're trying to they, they've got some kind of evil scheme up uh, up, their, up their sleeve. We're, we're suspicious of everybody and everything. And so what are people doing? Just kind of closing themselves in. Love growing cold. Because of how suspicious we've become. Because of how evil people are. That's the kind of times we're in. We get cold and calloused. It's easy to do. But Peter is saying to the church, don't let this be how you treat one another. Don't get bitter and cold and turn away from one another. Don't don't close yourself off to others. You need to practice fervent love. Remember what the Bible says about love. Love is the greatest virtue. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love Uh, These three, but the greatest of these is love. Verse 8, Peter says here, love covers a multitude of sins. He's simply saying love's gracious. It, It doesn't try to put the spotlight on the shortcomings of others. Have you ever met anybody that just loves to put the spotlight on somebody's shortcomings? Have you ever been out with another couple and, and you can sense that something's not right and there'll be one spouse? I mean, they're just going on and on about what, what their spouse is doing, pointing out their faults and shortcomings. And, or maybe you work with people. You go into work and, and, and all the workers, they just want to point out another worker's shortcomings or the boss's shortcomings, but Peter's saying, that's, that's not love. Love covers. It tries to protect. It's not interested in seeing who it can tear down. It's interested in building up. Remember also what Jesus said in John 13, 35. Love is the greatest testimony. He said, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's the greatest virtue, it's the greatest testimony of his work in us. It's also the greatest confirmation in 1 John 3, 14. uh, John says, if you hate your brothers in Christ, it's because you abide in death. Man, don't you wish John would say what he means? Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, but they hate their brother or sister in Christ. John says, I don't care what you say with your lips, you're not a believer. If you hate your brothers and sisters in Christ, you abide in death. You need to look in the mirror at that person looking back and say, you're a lost man, you're a lost woman. Because you hate your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love, though, is a confirmation that he's brought about that inward change in you. Verse 9, Peter shows a very practical example of love in action. He refers in verse 9 to hospitality. That was so important in the early church. Because when Christians traveled around in the ancient world, the motels and hotels of that time were dangerous places where you could get robbed, you could get beaten, you could get murdered. And they were like brothels. They were places of immorality. And so when Christians traveled around, what did they want to do? They would go into a city and try to find Christians to stay with. And so the early church over and over again in the New Testament, you'll see they're they're being promoted to practice hospitality. Open your homes to people. Be hospitable to Christians. That's a great example of love in action to other believers. And then a third word that he has to give here in chapter 4. Look at verse 10. He points out faithful serving. He says... As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we live in the last days and look for the coming of the Lord, we aren't to have our head in the clouds. Peter is saying these are days to work. These are days for Christian service. You and I are to live as stewards. What was a steward? Like a household manager. He didn't own anything. He just took care of what belonged to his master. And and Peter says that's what we are. We are stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold means multifaceted. God's grace is multifaceted. He doesn't give us all the same work to do. He gives grace for some to serve well. He gives grace for some to show mercy and compassion well. He gives the grace for others to be encouragers and exhorters. He gives the grace for some to teach well. He gives grace for some to be leaders and administrators and managers. All of these are God's grace gifts. They're given by God. And because they're given by God, they're to be used responsibly by God's people to the glory of God. for the good of men. You see, while we're waiting on the end, we're to be hard at work. Reminds me of an occurrence that took place back in the days when, early days, when America was sending men to the moon. A reporter asked one of the astronauts, he said, When you're finished working on the moon, What will you do then? The astronaut said, we'll get in the lunar module and fire the rockets and come back to Earth. The reporter said, what happens if the rockets don't fire? How long will you have left? The astronaut said, we'll have six hours left. That's all. The reporter said, then how are you going to spend those six hours? The astronaut said, working on the rockets. (laughs) That's how we're to be. While waiting, we're to be faithfully, fervently working. Peter says, the one who speaks, let him speak as it were the very utterances of God. If you're a Sunday school teacher, be serious minded about what you're teaching. It's God's inspired and errant word. Teach it as such. Because the Bible says one of the things that will characterize the end days, people want to heap up for themselves teachers who will just entertain them and tickle their ears. Don't be like that. You're teaching the very utterances of God. Serving, if service is your gift, serving God's strength. What's the temptation sometimes? Maybe either on one hand to say you can't do it or on the other hand to say, oh, look at what I did. Peter says, no, do what you do in the strength of the Lord only because of him. And whatever your gift is, he says in verse 11, you do it so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That's why we are to do what we're called to do. So faithful serving. That's the third main thing Peter is saying here, is to characterize us while we wait on his return. Let me give you some takeaways Lesson number one, troubling times call for us to think and act seriously about our lives and mission. We need to recommit to God's mission and mandate. Second takeaway, troubling times call for us to be prayer warriors who persistently intercede according to God's will. Third, troubling times call for us to love like Jesus loved, which does not mean accepting anything and everything. Loving biblically calls for telling the truth, even if we're hated for it. But it also means going beyond just words and caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then a last lesson, troubling times call for Christians to faithfully serve using the gifts and resources God has given us. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you just to think a moment again about verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Time is short. Are you ready this morning to meet the Lord? If you're not... You better make ready with haste. Has the Holy Spirit been tugging at your heart, telling you it's time to get right with Jesus? We'd love to pray with you about that this morning. You step forward out of your pew in just a moment. Come forward and one of our pastors would love to pray with you. Don't assume that you've got all the time in the world. You don't know that. Perhaps this morning your prayer needs to be, Lord, I know I don't think properly. I take my cues from the world and from what people say and do. Lord, help me to stop doing that and make your word my compass and anchor. Maybe this morning your prayer needs to be, Lord, prayer is the last thing I do. Teach me to pray, Lord. And teach me to pray wisely according to your will. Maybe love's your problem today. You don't love earnestly from the heart. Or maybe you just love those who love you. Jesus said even the Pharisees were capable of that. Do you love those who maybe you don't like or don't like you? That's what Christians are supposed to do. finally maybe you've not been faithful in God's grace not been a faithful steward you've not known or practiced your spiritual gift for the sake of the body of Christ ask him to help you know your gift and to use your gift in the strength that he provides Lord we pray for the church in these days Troubling days. Dangerous, perilous days. Days not to be complacent or apathetic. May may we be fully awake and alert and obedient to you. There's much to be done. And Lord, we're to shine the light in the darkness. We're not to pull back. We're not to close ourselves off. Lord, strengthen the church for both the time and the place in which you've put us. And may it be all for your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.